Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Today we will be talking about stars, star lore, and star beings. And as we talk about them, we want to invite all kinds of star lore here and the wisdom of the stars and the wisdom of the ancient stars and ancient people who gazed at the sky and divined, asked for blessing, followed natural cycles. So we invite all of that here today and give thanks for those cycles, give thanks for the time we have under the sky one of those constants that maybe we take for granted, that there's this beautiful tapestry of twinkling lights above us, no matter where we go. We give thanks for that. And we hope that these stories find you well and bring whatever it is that you need from them today. So we give thanks to the stars, the star lore, and to Saga. I want to give thanks also to everyone who dreams of the stars and the amazing inspiration that they bring to and I'm wanting to honor the way the stars have guided people, as well as the different transits of the planet, the sun and moon. I'm very aware of the power of the, not just the heavenly bodies, but the sky beings that are associated with those heavenly bodies. This is a time when we have had several comets in the sky and the meteor showers that have been sharing their light with us and reminding us in this time that light comes from many different directions. That's beautiful. Betsy, would you like to share your story? I'd be honored to. My story is a story that is related to the countries of Finland and Estonia. And the name of my story is The Astral Veil of Lindu. In autumn, when the sky begins to darken after a summer of endless light, is when I think wistfully of Lindu. I think of her as light itself, which is perhaps why she comes into my mind and my heart when it finally becomes dark here in the north. I gaze up into the night sky, looking at the gossamer belt of stars that shines above. That is where she went. I feel sad that I cannot yet follow her. Someday I will. Lindu's father is Uko. We call him old man behind his back. This is not an insult. This is our reverence for him as our elder god of the sky who came from a time before there was any earth at all. 
His breath, his presence is all power. When we pray, we think of him and his sky power and ask that he brings our prayers to life. When strife has happened, we ask him to use his golden hammer and make thunder to clarify and cleanse. When he thinks we need something cleared, he brings wild storms and our world is changed. When we lose a beloved mother, husband, or child, he takes them in his chariot into the sky. Lindu was the answer to his own prayers. He had longed for and tried to make a child with his wife, Ravna. They couldn't do it despite his healing power and her herbal skills. Uko found a consort, a fertility goddess, who conceived the flaxen-haired Lindu. She was such a treasure to Uko when born that Ravna came to accept and love her too. That was Lindu's gift. People loved her. She was a creature of the sky and the land and water. Because of this, she was gifted with her own kingdom on the shores of the Baltic Sea. I lived here as well as her friend and as a member of the Swan tribe. Here we played and learned and grew. We grew into womanhood together and I watched her become the sovereign queen of her own lands. She was known as the queen of the birds living amongst her winged subjects. She knew all of her birds in their many tribes and anticipated their arrival and watched their departures. She was strong-minded, much like her father, and she tried to get her birds to follow particular routes in their migrations through the skies. They didn't always listen or understand why it was so important to her. She didn't want any of them to become lost or to lose each other. Many men wanted her for a wife to connect him through wedlock to our greatest god, Uko. The princes of the air descended to gaze upon her and to meet her and one by one asked her to become their bride. She was the most beautiful creature they had ever seen. Once they saw her, all of these men wanted her for herself because she was simply the beautiful and graceful Lindu. Lindu was aware of their regard and viewed it with wry humor. They don't know me at all. It's not about me, Lindu. It's about my beauty and my father that they see, she would say as we would look upon yet another suitor. Lindu was always respectful to these young men and never more so than when she was saying no to them. When Sun, with hair the color of golden egg yolk, came to court her, she acknowledged the honor he bestowed on her and said no. When silver-haired Moon, emboldened by her refusal of Sun, came to see her, she said no to him as well in the kindest way possible. Her stepmother, Ravna, asked her what she was looking for if neither of these two very suitable luminaries appealed to her. After being wed to the somewhat stormy, volatile, and not very faithful Uko, she thought that sun or moon were good, reliable prospects for marriage. Mama, they're too reliable. Sun follows the same course every day. Moon always follows his own cycle. We know where he is every moment. 
Ravna reminded her that following the same course was what she, Lindu, was trying to get her birds to do. I'm not a bird, she said laughing. I'm Lindu, queen of the birds. I want more. The midnight-haired polar star came courting. Uko and Ravna both agreed that this was a son-in-law that they could cherish. He had intense and mesmerizing dark eyes that met her eyes, gray like her father's. She felt her blood quicken and could almost see a life with him. She held off his proposal, though, asking that they spend time getting to know each other. To me, she said, he's always in the same place, not even a pathway that he follows, but exactly the same. Can I do that? I don't know. Lindu, he will be a good husband, I confided to her. I would very much like him as a husband, but in Lindu's presence, no man ever looked twice at me. I know he would, but I'm not sure. I think that I will know my husband when I see him. Northern light came calling. He was ravishing in his green and red luminous light. He knew it too. His clothes reflected his transitory nature, shimmering and iridescent. Lindu fell in love with his beauty and with his shining splendor before he ever uttered a word. He was very charming, too charming, I thought. Lindu was sure that he was the one that she had waited for. Uko was very grumpy and emitting little cracks of thunder when the nuptials were agreed upon. Northern Light, glimmering with smiles, said, you know, he couldn't tolerate daylight, so he asked for and received the Midnight Land as the engagement and dowry gift. He appeared delighted in an indolent way, which irritated Uko even more. The wedding date was set, and Northern Light agreed to come back ahead of that date. He left, charming and glamorous, a tendril of green light curling after him that soon utterly disappeared. Uko fumed and heaved great sighs that set little swirling winds in motion. Lindu was so happy. Whereas she had never bothered with the trousseau and wedding clothes, now she focused on them in earnest. Frost provided the most beautiful and delicate lace for her veil. The swans provided the softest and warmest of feathers for a gown worthy of the queen of the birds and bride of northern light. All her bird folk offered what they could to help her have the most splendid bride clothes that a bride could dream of. We worked and worked to finish our preparations before northern light returned. Lindu spoke about him constantly, her happiness overflowing. Sun, moon, and polar star retired from the list, not able to court her anymore. I looked forward to seeing polar star at Lindu's wedding. Northern Light, ever inconstant in his nature, and with his engagement dowry gift of the midnight lands already in hand, never returned. Lindu watched the skies constantly, still trusting that he would come. On the wedding day, Lindu dressed in her amazing gown and veil and waited and waited. He never came. Desperate, sad, and upset, Lindu started crying and wasn't able to stop. She cried so much her dress became completely wet. 
She continued to cry, losing all sense of herself. She forgot to direct her birds and truly didn't care if they could find their proper path. She wept, and as she did, she became more insubstantial and eventually started floating in the air, still crying piteously. Uko was at first angry, and then as her crying and sadness continued, he became very alarmed. He asked the greatest of the winds to come and to bear her aloft into the skies so that she could escape her sorrow and remembrance of betrayal by her despicable suitor. He asked her to come into the skies and reign in the heavens with him. Unable to say yes or no, she just cried. He took her into the sky with him. Borne upwards by the great winds, higher and higher, her trailing lacy frost veil turned into millions of shining stars. This veil of stars became the night path called the path of the birds, the Milky Way. Lovingly held in the sky realm, Lindu soon remembered herself, the true Lindu and she remembered her birds. When her voice ceased its crying, she used it to sing rune songs for her birds to recognize this immense star path that we call her astral veil. The birds incorporated her songs into their navigation and now never lose their way. On very rare nights, reigning in the sky as a queen, Lindu sees northern light shining in the distance and wonders, how could she ever have wanted to be with him? The end. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Well, my story may be um, a little more humorous, but it wants to be told than it is. The story of the Zorias, who are of... The Slavic lands. They are the three sisters, the three star sisters that also reign over day, evening, and night. My eldest sister, Zoria, was nagging at me again. Wake up, Zoja, you're late. The sun is ready to ride and you have not opened the gate yet, her annoyed voice piercing through my dreams sharply. Already? It can't be time yet. It's so early in the spring. I still have another hour at least. It's daylight savings. We talked about this last week. One less hour of sleep for you, and I am robbed of an hour of my precious night work. I don't know how I'm supposed to distract all those nightmares or send them off to the children who behave badly and deserve them. The nightmares won't distract themselves, you know. Ah, I really hate daylight savings, Zoria mumbled disgruntedly, as she so often did. And yes, I was certainly hating daylight savings right now, too as my head spinned with grogginess and a vague recollection of another boring times and cycles meetings a few days ago. Not that I dislike cycles, that's not it at all. I just dislike the meetings about the cycles and my sisters giving me grief for being late and spending too much time with Smurgle. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to keep the beast happy so he won't grow too restless. And it's not my fault that he likes me most. I'm the only one who lets him out of his chains so he could make a few laps around the Milky Way to tire himself out. I don't dare tell my sisters this, for they would surely disapprove or fear that the hound will not return. And then, as they say, whoever they are, 
all hell would break loose. No pressure. But the truth is, the hound always comes back, for now at least, and I always feed him with the best of the day's stories so he can fall asleep peacefully. I don't know if I'm supposed to, but I cherish Smargle a great lot, and I feel bad for him. Unlike us, who are the beloved Zoria sisters of our people, he is feared, mostly because he is misunderstood, but he is as much part of the sacred cycles and keeping them as we are, maybe even more, for he is the compass, and he can feel when things are out of balance and when a great change might have to come. Just like us, he is part of what our people see and believe when they look up to watch as we stretch across the sky. My people see me as the youngest sister because I arrive in the morning. I am Zoria Ranana, and I open the gates for the sun chariot to run and for the sun to come. Because I am the first to arise, I bring hope and possibility to the day. Men would take off their hats at dawn and greet me, asking that I bless their day, bless their work, and I am happy to do so. With my arrival and the break of night, children's fears dissolve, just like the morning fog I disperse with my waking. My sisters will say that I am the people's favorite, and maybe for some of them that is true. For other people, there is a great dread for the coming day, because they don't love their work or their lives, and would rather stay deep in slumber. I shine on them as brightly as I can, hoping that they will feel my glow and be warmed by the potential of a new day. But they simply don't look at me like they used to, so I'm unable to help as much. My older sister, Zoria Vyachorna, arrives in the evening to close the gate after the sun when the sky begins to darken. She summons the soft veil of dusk that reminds people that it's time to head home from a hard day's work alerts the birds to soften their voices and find their sleeping nests. She is the lover's lamp and a most intimate witness to the vows they make to each other. I rarely get to see these intimate moments between lovers since they tend to be occupied with other things when I'm on watch. I've asked Zoria Vyachorna many times to share some of their delightful stories, but she is so secretive and greedy with her observations and will not share anything with me. Not fair in my opinion. Her time sounds so romantic and enchanting. My eldest sister is Zoria Punotsna, and she comes at midnight. Some people fear her greatly, certainly some children do, because her dark arrival can bring nightmares and bad dreams and other dangerous creatures who feel safe to come out, disguised by the full darkness. Others honor her great power and magic, making spells most potent at her time well safely hidden in the night. She is also the one who carries the body of the resting sun to rise again. Our people will say that the sun dies every night and is reborn at dawn with me. But in fact, the sun, just like us, is beyond life and death, and there's really no human word that could name what really happens during his daily journey. And since our people tend to be a little dramatic, they have always said that the sun dies because they like to talk about doom, death, and dying. No wonder that the little ones have so many nightmares. My poor sister Zoria Punotsna stays very busy during slumber time to keep them all safe from dreams about doom, death, and dying. And they don't even know that she protects them. 
They think she's the one who brings the nightmares. No wonder she's always so cranky. I love my sisters dearly, even though we tend to bicker amongst ourselves more so now than ever before. In truth, all three of us have had to work much harder than we used to. We still love and care about our people, but they have very much changed and we worry about them and their world as much as ours. Times of day are blended together now. People don't honor the times of work, play and sleep. They don't honor their dreams. They extend themselves working into the evenings and not resting fully, not allowing us to tend to them appropriately. The nights are so bright, too bright, lit up by strange lamps that make our eldest sister almost invisible in some parts of the land, which is so sad, for she is so vibrant, most beautiful of all of us, I might say. And poor Smargal, feeling all of the restlessness and our tiredness and the blending of times and cycles as people stopped honoring them. I don't know how much longer I can tell him stories that will satisfy him. He loves to hear about adventures, quests, travel. He loves the sound of people's laughter as they gather around the fire and share dreams with each other. If you are hearing this story, maybe this is a story just for you. Even if your people had different names for the stars, surely they gazed upon them and upon us with wonder, with hope, with longing. And this is how we look at you now, with longing. We want you and long for you to be happy, to live fully, to gaze and dream and dare to honor the precious cycles within us and within you. Because even though we don't know where we came from, we have always been here and hope to always be here for you to shine and guide your path. The end. Oh, I love that. I loved the engaging quality of this particular Zoria and to find out more about what her sisters do. Thank you very much. It was a fun story to write. I loved her character. Really, I just really enjoyed honoring her voice and, and seeing her perspective on the other sisters as well. For she would have the closest perspective. And that's what I like too, is that she would have insight into things that people might miss. So it seems like she acts like a bridge, maybe between her sisters and the ones that they are shining over. I think so. And I think in some way, all of the sisters would be a bridge to each other in a different way, based on what their relationship is to each other. I'm sure her relationship with her older sister is very different than with the eldest. So there may be more stories about these three. I don't know because I'm, I'm curious about that. I would imagine when it comes to amazing sisters like this, there must be a number of stories and stories that are seen from each of their viewpoints too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved it. I have always loved these sisters. And so I'm super excited that you actually chose them. That is fantastic for me. I totally want to hear more. Oh, good. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. (laughs) I will honor their cycles as they want to appear. And Betsy, I absolutely loved your story. Absolutely enchanted by it. And I love that out of the sorrow comes this great gift and even bigger resetting of direction and 
just the stretching of protective. I see it as these great big webs and pathways in the sky that are unbreakable. No birds can be lost now because of this. Right, right. I loved it too. I loved that she fell in love with the one that was ever changing because I knew immediately when he entered the scene that that also was the one I would fall in love with and that it would last about 10 minutes. <laughs> so, and so I totally loved the character. But I also loved her respectful no. And it so felt like her coming into her own power to be that she got to create that thing. You know, the cycle of the birds in the creating that in going through the grief and in taking back the projection of beauty that she put on this other creature. She sort of removed it and put it back into herself and made it manifest in the world and made her own power. And I loved that. I see it very much that way, too, that she was even more Lindu after she had been through this broken-hearted experience. And I loved the father's love for her. I mean, from the beginning, the quest to have her, and then the recognition of her at an early, quite early time in her life to let her become this queen of her own domain. And the way that she respected that you know as a sovereign queen and a sovereign queen of the winged ones that they were under her care it's an incredibly empowering story and it is sad but I think everyone has an experience of a broken heart but not all of us come out of it as our true self And for that, I find the story really inspiring. I love the end. I I love what she says at the end that she, you know, I thought, oh, she's going to look across and see the Northern Lights and in some way they're together. It's no. How could she ever think she would marry (laughs) him? (laughs) Good riddance. (laughs) Yeah. And mercifully, that the appearance of the Northern Lights is always quite rare, too. Even far in the North, you can never depend on it for sure, happening even when it's predicted. So to become herself was much the better path for her, I think. Well, and it really feels like it was the destined path for her. I also love just looking at the suitors, too, of spending time with Lindu, I really enjoyed. But what I loved about the suitors was seeing these heavenly bodies as personified as these different men, you know, these young men who each present in their own kind of personality. I don't know. So for some reason, I really enjoyed that. Did you find that about the Zorias too, that you could really feel or sense their distinct personalities? Very much so. Very, very much so. And even as I'm thinking about this now, and this was completely without that not not on purpose, but the secretive Zoria doesn't really have a voice. And I didn't realize that until just now that the one that wouldn't share what, you know, whatever matings she has witnessed in the darkness that the youngest Zoria really wanted to know about, that she doesn't really have a voice in here. Mm-hmm. And so even on that alone, I trust that these are real beings, real voices. And yet I feel like people we tend to here for the personality of a being that may be outside of personality and only when they come 
closely to us does that personality come alive depending on how we perceive them? I wonder too, because people can be day people or later afternoon people or night owl people, if that gives them a connection to one of these Zorias too. If you're an early bird, you're the one who's there for the dawn. I would think so. Yes, definitely. Like, I really feel that especially with the night one, with the midnight Zodiac, who's feared by so many, I feel that there are people who would really seek her out and honor her for her time, knowing that there's certain things that can happen only at midnight, just like certain things can happen only at dawn and only in the evening or later in the afternoon. So I feel like all these sisters would have their ideal or their their groups of people that would honor them at those times. Yeah, and I feel in some way in sync with them or simpatico with them in some way. Yeah. I love that thought. I totally loved the idea of the people coming out during the night too. The people and the dangerous creatures. <laughs> Things that feel safe not being seen. Yeah, and if one is awake at a certain time of night, to know that there's a Zoria who is awake also (laughs) just can be a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, and I remember growing up, and even now, I still have my, my parents who will have a very traditional Polish Catholic Christmas Eve dinner. But so the Zoria, Vietorna, the evening Zoria, is the one that we would look for until we could sit down. Because until you saw the fur, you know, so it was always up to the children to spot her. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you see the first evening star appear in the sky, then you can sit down to that meal, to that sacred meal. So I've always feel like she has a special announcing power and announcing gift that when she arrives, it's time to put everything down and gather, and honor, and be together, and feast, and listen. So I, she's lovely as well, though she doesn't speak much in here at all. She is that one. I love that idea. I love that you would sit up and wait for the star. That's so beautiful. Until you see her, you can't sit down, and, and that meal cannot happen. So she's very important. And you can't make it up either, because there will be a grandma right after you saying, where is it? is she really there or are you making it up Mm. well thank you both I thought they were amazingly beautiful I totally loved both of them thank you C and they both felt very empowering yeah and comforting very nice well before we talk about what we're taking into the next week with us shall we wait until we hear your star story and talk about that okay I can see you. Yes, you. I can see all of you. I have never had an easy time dating. My friends said I just hadn't met the right woman. Frankly, I found it presumptuous of them to assume it was a woman I was looking for, but hey, I did have a wife once, so maybe they were just deducing. Still, it would have felt good to know that they supported me no matter what my choice. In any event, it had been a long time since I'd had any interaction. The only one I know who is interested is Rose, and the truth was I found her repulsive. Sure, she was excellent in the interaction department, but she was kind, obedient, and attentive. 
It made me shudder. It was all I could do to enjoy the romp and get out quick. I was looking for something more alternative. A month before, I'd fallen hard and far for a lovely little package named Lilith. She'd just been through a painful breakup, and what with me, a widower, I thought she'd be all into me. My wife and I, bless her soul, had a lovely relationship. I always treated her with respect, and I never hesitated to let her be on top. In fact, it was my preference. After a long day, it's good to be taken care of. But no, Lilith just wasn't over the other guy. Said she was made for him. Whatever. I finally had to accept that it was time to move on, though I still loved her. I decided to go on a walkabout. Well, a flyabout. Clear my heart through bodily exertion. That's what I intended. I changed into an eagle. We do that, you know. It's to keep the canines guessing. Am I predator or prey? I flip a wing in their direction and they lunge. And just as they charge, I jump back and turn into me again. And they leap back whimpering and give me that, I've been a bad dog look. No end of fun. Anyway, so I change into an eagle and fly toward the outback to be alone. Only I soon remember that I forgot to eat. I know it's funny that I remember that I forgot, but that's how it went. I never forgot to eat before I fell in love with the little vixen, but that's love. It leads to starvation. I looked down and there were three blokes in my forest, my forest, where I'd come to be alone, sitting, prepping some meat for the fire. So I perched up in a tree to have a little fun. I put a time capsule spell on them. My wife taught it to me. She used it to keep her face useful. I used it to keep their meat raw. You should have seen them checking it again and again. It took them hours to look around and see what I was doing. By the time they did, I was starved. I'd have picked a different trick if I'd known how daft they were. I promised to lift the spell and let the meat cook as long as they let me eat first. They didn't even come back with a counteroffer. They just agreed. So the meat cooked. When it was done, they took it off the fire and, appropriately, offered it to me. I flew over and chowed down. I was famished. I'd almost polished it off when one of them came at me with a stick. Me. Came at me with a stick. But then I glanced over at him. He was kind of hot. As I said, it had been too long. By this time, though, he was swinging at me. Instinctively, I grabbed him and took off. I just wasn't thinking. I was hungry in more ways than one. It had been too long. I headed back to my house and started the descent when I misjudged and smacked him into a tree. Suffice to say, he was no longer looking so hot. He was looking more like the earlier meat, and it occurred to me that this was a bad idea anyway. My daughter, bless her heart, was home probably making me a dinner I'd like much more than the grody meat the three trespassers served. So I veered upward and turned to take him back, only to smack him into another tree. He started screaming, in both terror and rage. It would have been kind of sexy if he wasn't such a mess. On one hand, this was not the relaxing flyabout I was hoping for. On the other, I'd always found that business transactions go better when the other participant is afraid they'll die, so I thought quick. Clearly, he was no longer dating material, at least not for a few weeks, but maybe he could hook me up. Ethan, I shouted, swear you'll bring me Ethan in her apples or I'll put you down. When he didn't answer, I smacked him into another tree. At that point, it didn't make much of a difference. Next week, I added, for clarity. I swear, he answered after another hard thwack. You see, oaths in our world are unbreakable. You can try to break them, but it doesn't work out. If you don't go to the Forsworn, the Forsworn comes to you. So the following week, I waited in the forest, and sure enough, there was Ethan and the previously hot guy still in recovery. 
I turned into an eagle once again and swooped down, grabbing her and taking her back to my house. This time, though, I was so excited, I forgot about my daughter. As soon as I landed, my wee Scotty ran out to show me the cake she had just made, an apple cake. She and Ethan bonded immediately. They ran into the kitchen together and baked up an apple-flavored storm. As you might imagine, this was not how I expected things to go. I was thinking a nice dinner, drinks, and maybe some trauma bonding. But now my girl had taken Ethan as her plaything, and there's nothing I can deny my little pumpkin. When I faced that the two of them could keep at this for weeks, I decided enough was enough and flew off to spend some quality time with Rose. I claimed to be in the area looking for Ethan, who I'd heard was missing, and spend my days alone in the forest and night in Rose's bed. But then, one morning, I was looking out her window when I saw a falcon leaving my house. I had no falcon friends, but Ethan had one. And my poor little pumpkin was alone at home with that apple-bearing immortal. I took off immediately in pursuit. I flew and flew as fast as my wings could carry me. I was heading toward the gated community at the other end of the forest in fast pursuit. I was almost upon it when I passed over the enclosure and was met by a second wall, this one of flame. My poor feathers lit like tiki torches and I plummeted to the ground. No, I cried as they set upon me, who will look after my little pumpkin? And with that, they plucked out my eyes and threw them into the sky where they still are today. Glittering stars. I can see my pumpkin. I can see you. Yes, you. I can see all of you. Thanks. Wonder if they can see me right now. He's up there. Sure, it feels that way. So I'm curious. Is there form to this being before they were starlight? Because it oh, feels yeah. like there are so many things. That's the Ozzy, the giant. <gasps> Scotty's dad. Oh, wow. I did not even know that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that leads to her going to the Parliament of the Gods and asking for compensation for the death of her father. Oh, my gosh. Story leading into story leading into story. Wow, that's beautiful. So he's a giant. Is that right? Yes, he's a giant. Those giant eyes looking down. Like a guardian. What was it like for you to be with Yazi in this story? I actually quite liked him. I, you know, I wouldn't want to hang out with him a lot because, frankly, he's kind of violent. But, you know, not to me. And so that's great. But I did like him. He has some charisma. I always wonder what it's like for a being to have such a place in the world or the worlds, in this case, the Norse worlds, and status also, and quite a lot of power. And then all of a the sudden, they're in a completely different life. Right. What do you think that was like for him? Oh, I weirdly think it was pleasant. When I sort of feel into that, I feel just relaxed. Just like, oh, I can retire. Mm -hmm. Scotty in the Norse tradition is such a handful, too. It's nice to think of her as somebody's pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it certainly gives perspective to the grandeur and the power of that world and who's who in it they strangely all feel like they have a quality of retirement to them when i think of the zorias 
I still feel a sense of daily retirement, but still retirement. You know what I mean? Like it's out of my yeah. hands now. I can. Yeah. Well, they certainly have a time that they overlook. And also their work has really shifted as times have shifted. So I think that's also another thing that we're looking at here with some of these bigger beliefs and concepts and constructs of our world is what happens to those constructs if they are no longer fed or if they're no longer recognized. Does that change them? And if so, how? Can they be brought back? Do they want to be brought back? Will they be the same even if they are believed again? Yeah, I don't see how they could be. And I absolutely loved the Northern Lights one. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Actually, that one still is with me, really with the flight of the birds and their migration and just the power of that movement. It's been really wonderful to sit with. Thank you. I mean, one thing that I'm just noticing in even talking about these different characters and these different stories and these different transformations, at least in the case of two of these stories, of how we can change and grow. We can have a very vital life in one part of reality or one part of the world or even just the part of the world that makes up our life and something can happen that can catapult us into an entirely different existence. And when it does, just feeling the difference, for instance, in Theazi of who he was before and who he was after, after words, that vastness and that expansiveness and that seeing you and seeing everyone and seeing everything kind of aspect to him. And also knowing we can look up into the night sky and see him too. Uh, I love that. I think it's also fascinating to think about being able to read stories and sagas that mention different beings and read the myths and just see that when we see them in those, or we hear about them or we read about them in those moments, it's a few sentences and it means this. But when we stop and really hone in on it and look at the story of how that came to be, there's story. (laughs) So I'm really grateful for both of your stories for that reason, to know that by having a deeper insight into their personalities and into the ways that they are shining above, I find that fascinating and really really powerful so thank you yes thank you for these stories yeah thank you yeah they're beautiful and special thanks to the fantastic zoe magic for her phenomenal editing skills